0: Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. Museums are important whether we work in them, for them, or simply love visiting them. Throughout history, people have collected things and put them on display to enjoy, but today's museums offer much more than rooms filled with stuff. They provide places to learn and share experiences with family and friends, as well as sanctuaries to unplug, rest, and refresh. On today's show, we'll discuss how museums can remain relevant and sustainable reach out to new audiences, and remain attuned to cultural and technological trends. Now, here's your host, Carol Bossert. Welcome
1: to Museum Life. I'm Carol Bossert. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, It is the second uh, week of the new year, so Happy New Year to those of you that uh, uh, I wasn't able to tell uh, that to last week. My guest today is a wonderful uh, and very thoughtful uh, fellow that I met in uh, in the process of doing research on on another project here in Washington D.C. and I just uh, realize that this is a a topic that is both timely and. Um, uh, very important. I have on uh, on my show today is Devin Ackman, who is the uh, president and CEO of the uh, Arab American National Museum in uh, Dearborn, Michigan, right outside of Detroit. And I just think that it is, uh, it's is—it's a great museum and with a wonderful outreach mission. And I am so glad, Devin, that you are on the show today and can share with us a little bit about the museum and uh, the work you're doing there.
2: Well, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much.
1: Devin, uh, as you know, I always ask all of my, my guests to share in their own words their your their career path. So, if you would not mind doing that uh, for the audience, that would be great.
2: Yeah, happy to do so. It's it's funny. I'm coming up on my 12th anniversary here at the Arab American National Museum, and and looking back, I certainly wouldn't at the time have thought I'd I'd be working in a museum. I. Uh, I was actually pursuing a career in journalism, and uh, at the time, it was pretty. Uh, I was a photojournalist, I should say. And at the time, we could certainly see the industry was shrinking, and I knew at a very young age it was it was time to recalibrate. So I returned to school and was pursuing. Uh, an art history degree and a second degree when, uh, you know, the activities of 9-11 happened. And as a uh, third-generation Lebanese-American, I I began to experience things that um, that were impacting my family that had never happened in my life before. So, you know, it made me more cognizant of my identity. And as, uh, as I was still pursuing yet another degree, an advanced degree, I learned of the uh, the potential for this new museum that was being planned in Dearborn, Michigan. and it was quite a unique museum. and uh, you know the founding director was doing a bit of uh, bit of outreach at the time, trying to explain the concept. Um, and and I, I was just really taken by this notion of a museum that was really filling a void in our nation and uh, meant to elevate the Arab-American story and, and to address a lot of the, the misconceptions and stereotypes. So, on a whim, you know, here's this guy who's, who's really getting ready to pursue uh, urban planning <laughs> um, who had limited work experience in a museum. I'd uh, done some, some work as an undergrad at Michigan State University, working in the, the University Museum. Uh, so, I, on a whim, applied for a position in the Curatorial Department and uh, was fortunate enough to be part of that founding curatorial staff. I was taken on, and uh, joined the museum as it was opening, and uh, fast forward 12 years, you know, I've kind of progressed through the ranks here, and uh, have have had a joyous uh, path uh, exploring uh, what it means to be a community-based museum in the 21st century.
1: That's great. Uh, Very, very, very interesting, and uh, again, you echo, like so many of us, uh, that you didn't start out uh... to pursue a career in museums it wasn't on your radar screen at all but uh... the opportunities present themselves and to do some really amazing things in a museum environment and it has uh... has brought many of us to the fold and i think the diversity of uh, experience, yours in, in journalism, and, and even the urban planning piece, I'm sure, has added to uh, the strength of the things that you're able to do uh, at, at the museum. I'm wondering, do you consider your, yourself in, in your role as a, uh, as a public historian in any way?
2: Well, I think so. I mean, in a lot of ways, for me, public history is working with community to co-create history and to celebrate that and to empower people in that process, not just to be active consumers of history, but to be part of the production of it and the documentation of it. And that's certainly a portion of how we approach our work Uh, as as the only museum of its kind in the nation. you know we have this interesting responsibility and um you know when you're working from a community based perspective you certainly need to embed yourself in the community and and learn from the community and to document that with them so that that's that's challenging work but um as i kind of reaffirm what it means or as i re-question sometimes what my role is uh i certainly feel the public history is a is a good way of of kind of describing it
1: Great, thank you, thank you. That's that's very helpful. I've one more question before we get involved in you know the details of of the museum, and uh, because it, it's always a personal uh, question of mine, uh, I too started out my career as a as a curator. Uh, I, I'm wondering what has been your biggest challenge in shifting from a curatorial role to a directorship.
2: Well, <laughs> I think yeah, there's, there's myriad challenges. Uh, the maybe the the one I sometimes struggle with the most is is that I, I really had a lot of enjoyment and 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 in, in doing exhibition development and being. Uh, so involved with the exhibition process, and now because of my role, um, you know, I'm looking at a lot more global things for the institution, which is great, and I love that. You know, that's that's what gets me going every day. But sometimes just that opportunity, um, whether it's working with community on on building the collection at that that very personal level, or um, there's just a lot of fun and creativity that goes into uh, the production of ex- exhibitions. So, sometimes it's <laughs> I just miss that sometimes, to be honest with you. Um, you know, it, it, fundraising and all that, they have their challenges, uh, board development, et cetera, et cetera, but uh, just the, the, the joy of the, the creative aspect of, of, of being a curator. Uh, so, sometimes that's a that's a struggle. I miss it. <laughs> yeah, I,
1: I understand completely. That's why when the fork in the road happened to me, I chose um, Uh, being a consultant instead of going into the, into the, uh, the (laughs) governance side of things, because I just couldn't give the, uh, the exhibition work up either. So, uh, thank you for for that honesty. (laughs) Um, So, I guess the next question, again, before we sort of leap into, um, in, into the discussions, uh, specifically about the museum, and with the understanding, of course, that, that, This show is uh, heard by people all around the world at uh, more than uh, 20 different countries. And so I always want to be very sensitive to the fact that not everyone is from the United States and looks at things exactly the same way we do. And vocabulary matters. So if you wouldn't mind, could you explain, uh, just define what Arab means
2: to you? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. We get that quite a bit. So uh, the way we um, look at the word Arab and, and who is an Arab is really through uh, three kind of three characteristics. First, um, there are 22 countries that comprise the Arab League of States, so that's that's kind of a unification uh, right there of this group. Uh, second of all, Arabic is the primary language of these 22 countries, uh, and thirdly, there's a shared culture. You know, it's a shared tradition. So, you know, there's there's give or take, uh, what is it, 10 in North Africa and 12, kind of what we geographically often refer to as the Middle East. So it's 22 countries. Um, that comprise what we call, you know, the Arab world. Um, and then when it comes to life in America, obviously anyone who comes from one of those 22 countries um, who identifies as being an Arab, um, you know, that, that in and of itself can be a bit challenging here in the U.S. or even throughout the greater diaspora worldwide, um, but specifically those 22 countries that shared cultural tradition and that shared language.
1: that that's interesting um, I just like to to dwell on that a little bit further if you don't mind I mean I, I under I understand um, you know how you can make a, a, a geographic uh, statement um, mm-hmm. and certainly the language but As we know, the uh, historically uh, the Arab speaking world uh, at one time spanned from Spain all the way through uh, Southeast Asia. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and and politically and uh, geopolitically, those those borders have changed a lot. So, how what makes up a shared tradition?
2: Uh, you know, more, more contemporary cultural aspects, you know, the food, the language, uh, you know, the core components of culture. And, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, historically, you know, the, the kind of the quote-unquote empire has ebbed and flowed, but we're really looking at, you know, the last hundred, hundred or so years, um, this kind of geographic landscape with that shared cultural tradition. So, you know, some things are shifting even now. I mean, you look at the Sudan uh, and what's happened there with kind of the fracturing of the country. Um but, you know, that, that those are kind of our general guidelines. And it, like I said, it gets really complicated within that. Um, and here in the U.S., you know, um, oftentimes you know, folks think of Arabs as being only, or, you know, uh, Muslim-only, for example, and they look at it from a religious lens, and, and we often have to correct you know folks and say, well, you know, there is, there is definitely a majority uh, Islamic community in the Middle East, and this is, you know, the, the home of their, you know, primary religious sites, but, you know, the, the the greatest number of Muslims are actually in Southeast Asia, and there's a huge community of Arab Christians, you know, and uh, Arab Jews, so, um, you know, religion's not an apt lens to look at, you know, the, as a Defining feature of this region, so um, a more more encompassing cultural component is probably the shared, uh, or I should say, the larger shared uh, aspect of what it means to be an Arab. That I,
1: I thank you for uh, making that clarification. I, I I do understand, and I've run into it in some of my own uh, research on on exhibition projects. Uh, the the uh, the misunderstanding and uh, uh, poor. Uh, poor connections made, uh, particularly between uh, the word Arab and Islam or uh, Muslim, and uh, so I think it is important to to make that uh, distinction. So, so tell us about the Arab American National Museum. How did it get started?
2: Yeah, this is a really interesting history. So first and foremost, the Arab American National Museum is actually part of a larger nonprofit here in southeast Michigan called Access. And Access was started in 1971 as a volunteer organization really working to meet the needs of what was at the time a growing immigrant community here from the Arab world. And a lot of these folks were coming um, as part of displacement, you know, the onset of war, and in particular in 1975, the, the starting of the Lebanese Civil War. Um, so that organization rapidly grew, and it had a very unique approach to wellness. Um, it saw wellness as something that, you know, began with basic needs and continued through education to health wellness. It um, kind of ended with cultural wellness and philanthropy, so to speak. Um, so in 1987, a small arts department was started, and that department was really charged with Documenting and sharing the Arab American story, uh, and then educating the public on who, who those, uh, Arab Americans were. And as you might imagine, our community in southeast Michigan began to grow and grow and grow, and that demand got bigger. Um, so there was this, this, this idea, you know, maybe we need a museum. There are, there are no museums in the nation, uh, really charged with telling and documenting the Arab American story, and that says something when there's thirty five thousand museums um, and you know the handful of folks who were trying to do the story often were doing it uh, you know in ways that weren't necessarily accurate or weren't necessarily empowering Arab Americans. so the idea was born the the need was uh, was articulated and then 9 eleven happened. Uh, so the question became, you know, will this idea be able to come to fruition? And what's more, can we build this the way we want to, which is by involving the Arab American community? Um, so our founding director really, you know, she she put you know boots to the ground and began a national uh, a national tour, you know, really engaging Arab American communities throughout the nation. Inquiring, You know, if we built a museum, what would you like to see? Would you contribute your stories, your objects, you know, um, your family's uh, history here in this country? And, you know, we were pleased to discover that despite, um, you know, the the climate in the U.S. post-9-11, that, that there were enough folks who wanted to, to do that. So that was really the impetus, and we were able to open in 2005. Uh, so it's been um, about 11 and a half years now. Um, but we still really much, uh, while we've grown significantly in, in that time, uh, you know, we still remain rooted in, in our community, and that's, that's a national community. That's why we use the word national in our title. Um, people often uh, inquire, what does that mean when you say national? And, uh, you know, we just got back from doing some work in Paris, actually, earlier this week, and, and folks there thought, well, does national mean a government museum, for example? And we say no, what we mean by national is it truly encompasses the entire." Of the Arab American community throughout the U.S. Its entire presence, so we're constantly trying to engage uh, people of Arab uh, ancestry in this country, and and being rooted at the center of our work, and being really responsive to that community. So that that that's kind of how we came into uh, existence, and how how we strive to put people people first in our work.
1: Thank you. Wow, that's that. Uh... That says a lot, and I have a lot of follow-up questions, but before I do, uh, we're coming up Close to a break, and I rather break a little early, and then instead of uh, uh, cutting you off in mid-thought, so we are going to take our first of two breaks, and when we come back, more with Devin Ackman and talking about the uh, Arab American National Museum in Dearborn, Michigan, and uh, what that what that really means uh, for its for their community as well as what it says about us as a museum community that only has one such museum focused uh, on this topic. So stay tuned. There's lots more to cover. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life.
3: Carol Bossert established CB Services LLC because she believes in the societal value of museums, Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content, and at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations, no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com, reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn, or call her directly at
0: 240-432-7712. You're tuned into to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life.
1: Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert. You're listening to Museum Life. And today, my guest is Devin Ackman, the uh, President and uh, Chief opera. Operating officer, director of the Arab American National Museum, and right before break, uh, Devin was sharing with us sort of the the origins of the museum. Uh, More importantly, uh, the fact that there was no museum devoted to the Arab uh, American experience, uh, even though we have many many museums in this country, and and also uh, you know alluded to the the fact that this uh, this started before uh, the 9-11 tragedies, and of course that affected all of us, uh, but that it continued uh, uh, beyond then uh, to help talk about uh, and focus on the Arab-American experience, and, and Devin, I, I have lots of follow-up questions, but one that really struck me, and I, I don't think it really, you know, penetrated my brain in the other conversations that, that you and I have had, is that this is an American that celebrates contemporary life. I mean, it's, yes. it's, 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 it's about the, the people's experience who have come to this country and their experiences today. As opposed to uh, celebrating just as many important things about their uh,
2: homelands,
1: am I am I correct? Is that a is that a, 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 a honest or or a legitimate distinction to make?
2: Absolutely. It's very much about our presence, uh, historically and contemporary, within the U.S. And so we, we worked to, to celebrate that story and to document it, and, and even more importantly, to place that story in context with, with kind of our larger American narrative.
1: So, what, uh, just, uh, just so that, that we're clear, uh, what was the original mission of the institution?
2: Well, in many ways, our our mission is still the same, and that is to document, preserve, and present the history and culture of Arab Americans, and we do that, I mean, we we kind of stretch the mission in how we do that today, Um, and a lot of that comes through, you know, the continuation of building collections and putting forth exhibitions and public programming, Um, but When I talk about stretching the mission, we think about place, you know, and here we're rooted in Southeast Michigan among the highest concentration of Arabs in North America. So, you know, when you think about contemporary culture and how a museum can leverage that and its place within the community, we're constantly looking at what's going on within the community and how can we use uh, or work with the community to actually celebrate the story. So um, that's something we've really been stretching a bit more over the past few years. Um, so, while our mission remains essentially the same as it was 11 and a half years ago, the way we act upon it is, is quickly evolving.
1: That's, that's interesting. I want to follow up on that. But before I do, um, you said something, and I had heard this, um, you know, but I didn't know that it was true, is that, that Southeast Michigan has the largest concentration of Arab Americans in the
2: country? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And it's really hard, you know, to... To To put a firm number on our presence because of the way we do census data here in the u s our estimates are about a half billion people of Arab heritage within a three county um, the the major three counties of southeast Michigan, and uh, this is not a new community uh while we are in fact getting some new folks still who have been coming as immigrants or refugees of the last ten, fifteen years, um our community really stretches back. the late uh, late 19th century here in Southeast Michigan. Um, Like many, with the rise of the auto industry, (laughs) this became the destination to be, you know, to come and to to get those great-paying jobs and to start a new life in this nation. And um, many times, you know, when there's a previous community, uh, newer communities come and settle in that area. So because we had such a large presence historically of Arab Americans uh, and institutions were born and formed and, and evolved uh, we continue to be a destination for more recently arriving people from the Arab world.
1: I, you know, I find that so interesting. I, I've always been fascinated in De- Detroit's history. Um, my own grandfather left. The farm uh, uh, in the uh, in the 1920s, uh, the farm in Indiana, to make his his uh, millions on uh, Henry Ford's line. Of course, that mm-hmm. lasted a week, uh, mm-hmm. and then he then he decided uh, he realized he wasn't too mechanically inclined, and so he started selling insurance. But the uh, the lure of the auto industry uh, brought. People from all over the country, uh, certainly from the south, uh, uh, and from all over the world, and I. And as you you just mentioned, and they continue. To, to come, uh, you know certainly, uh, uh, perhaps their expectations are a little different. But you know, you think of places like like um, uh, San Francisco and New York as being you know, the the cosmopolitan uh, areas that really attract uh, uh, new immigrants. But we forget about Detroit, don't we?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Detroit. Detroit, in a lot of ways, is is is, is, is kind of reemerging. Uh, there's so much wonderful and exciting stuff happening. I mean, we certainly have myriad challenges in Detroit, um, but Detroit is quickly being reshaped here. And and for our community, it's it, 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 the Arab American community. I mean, we continue to be that that destination at this point. I mean, we have organizations like our parent uh, organization, Access. So we have great you know great social service agencies. We have you know very established religious institutions, whether you're Christian or Muslim. I mean, there's numerous mosques, numerous uh, Christian churches throughout Southeast Michigan. Uh, We have Arabic newspapers. I mean, the food, the culture, everything is here. Um, So it continues to be that destination, and we find, you know, even with... For example, refugee resettlement in this country. You know, there's lots of designated areas throughout the U.S. where where refugees are placed. Um, And what we find oftentimes is there's secondary migration. So you might be a refugee coming from Iraq, for example, and being placed in Atlanta. And once you're in Atlanta, you hear about Detroit. You know, and you say, "Well, I can stay in Atlanta here. It's a little bit foreign to me, or I can go to a place where, you know, I, I can I can I can worship my religion, I can speak my language, I can I can acclimatize a little bit more organically and, and comfortably." Um, so we see a lot of that. Uh, we see a lot of that, not just as a museum, but as an entire social service agency. So, um, in many ways, we continue to be the destination for for many who are recently arriving from the Arab world. Mm-hmm
1: that that's very very interesting i uh we forget about that, as you say, that sort of the the secondary uh, migration. Um, you you've talked a lot uh, earlier on about you know that the mission of the institution of the organization is the same. It's it's preserving the history and culture of the Arab American community. But you mentioned that the ways that you've been doing that have have naturally shifted uh, over time to keep up with the communities. Can you give me uh, an example or two about you know some of the newer ways that you are uh, addressing the needs and uh, building your community.
2: Well, I think one of the easiest ways to kind of exemplify this is, you know, we were sitting one day in our Living in America gallery, and there's this wonderful uh, exhibit that that you really get to explore Arabic food, and it's very interactive. Um, but you know, it's in a building; it's they're didactic, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We said to ourselves, you know, one of the great things about our museum's location is that there are all these food establishments, I mean, everywhere around here. And, um, you know, instead of asking an educator, for example, what does halal food mean, for example, would it be great to ask a store owner and involve the stores? And, and you know, so we began to kind of think about how, again, how can you leverage our place uh, in the community and involve them in the process and, and to foster, you know, safe environments where dialogue can happen. Uh, so we launched the culinary walking tour, and uh, it's just been one of those things that has has really just – uh, taken off from the start. I mean, we don't even market this thing, and it's at capacity um, pretty much year-round because there's such a demand for that. And uh, you know, it's an immersive for the visitor. It's a, you know, immersive kind of participatory experience. Uh, for the business owner, it's welcoming in new new consumers into their store, and they're getting a, a role in telling their story, how their business came into effect. Um, you know, their place in the community. And as a museum, we're we're capitalizing on our mission in a whole new way, in a way that we probably wouldn't. Have imagined in 2005 when we opened. So thinking heavily about place and what is going on outside the museum and how, you know, we can be really the hub, the museum itself, the physical space is a hub, but it doesn't have to be where all the activities take place. So, you know, we're exploring how you activate parks, you know, how we, how we collaborate regionally on, on film festivals, um, you know, and a lot of this happens through partnerships. Um, But, uh, you know, one aspect of our work I haven't spoke about, you know, so we do all this work about Arab Americans. We're very ethno-specific. We're not ethnocentric. So a lot of our story is also about connecting with other communities. Um, And a lot of times it has to happen out, you know, in other places. While we welcome all communities into our museum, you know, we also have to be receptive to going and working in other places. So, again, our museum is really a hub, and we're trying to make it a safe space for community. And by community, I mean not just the Arab American community, but all communities to come and explore culture and convene. But we're also very much willing to explore outside of our museum and how we embed that within the community.
1: You know, it's those latter Examples that that you give uh, you gave about you know, working in partnership, being in parks, uh, enlivening uh, the 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 um, the shop owner, and you know, sort of in imparting him or her with that that museum on uh, promoter of, of this is important. Uh, it's, it reminds me of a, a colleague of mine, Claire Brown, talks about the ubiquitous museum, and it sounds as if if you are, are really taking that philosophy to heart to use the museum lens to enliven and engage the entire community.
2: Yeah, in many ways. I mean, for us, we're constantly thinking about what is missing and how a museum can fill the void. You know, what does it mean to be a 21st century museum? And for us, a lot of that is thinking about how we can leverage our resources um, to benefit those we serve and those we represent. Uh, and we think a lot about space. You know, we're living in a time where we're seeing, you know, shrinking public spaces. You know, so what is, again, the museum's role uh, with the spaces we do have jurisdiction over, our museum, our our annex, which is next door to our museum, et cetera, and how we involve community into utilizing those spaces.
1: Uh, tell me a little bit more about, about the annex. I was reading about it on your website. It sounds uh, absolutely
2: fabulous. Yeah, the annex is one of those things that is, has exceeded our wildest expectations. So, you know, in, when we started, we were very much while we were a national institution, much of our work was happening in Southeast Michigan, and and as the only Arab American na- you know museum, we, we we felt compelled to really legitimize our work. You know, we became Southeast Michigan's only affiliate of the Smithsonian. We became an accredited museum within our first decade. Um, so we began to to receive these these kinds of recognitions. Um, which were wonderful. It was raising the visibility of our institution. We were designing programs to leverage and uplift our community. Um, but on the other hand, we were realizing that there was a, a fundamental uh, need in the community. That was space. It was a space for people to get together creatively and to incubate work and to workshop together, uh, a space for people just to kind of have discussions, dialogues about, about issues that were relevant to them. So there were so many different needs from the, within the community, and a lot of these folks wanted to utilize the museum after normal Business hours, and of course, you know, we've worked so hard to become an accredited institution, and uh, whatnot, whatnot, you know. So uh, there became this barrier, almost a disconnect. You know, how do you become accessible and allow the community to use space when you have to, you know, staff have to go home at some point, etc. Um, so we were fortunate enough to be able to acquire some additional property uh, immediately adjacent to the museum, largely with the support of the Ford Foundation um, and Roberto Ono when she was still with the foundation, and we converted that into an additional approximately 5,000-square-foot flex space. So it's really essentially a a concrete box with state-of-the-art technology that can be manipulated. In a a lot of ways, it works like a black box um, that enables community to come in and to really utilize it as they see fit. So uh, we have the National Arab Orchestra, which is based in Detroit, and they rehearse in there several times a week. We have uh, entrepreneurship training for, for immigrants and refugees that take place in there. We have Arabic language lessons. We have groups that are not even Arab-American that get together and have events in there. So in many ways, this is like a, a work in progress of space. It really the only really uh, kind of thing that binds everything together is that it's meant to be utilized in for community in ways um, that they have the opportunity to express themselves, to explore ideas in a safe environment. And, um, you know, I, we're just wildly amazed at how quickly this space has taken off, which speaks to how much of a need there was in the community for something like that.
1: That's, that's interesting. I just have one other question about the annex before we go to break, and that is, so in the planning of the annex, uh, you saw a need, you saw, you know, you saw both a need for the, the museum to overcome a problem, you know, security mm-hmm. and all those things and mm-hmm. keeping the lights on. And But but so did you, how, how did you involve the community in the development of something that was for them? Was it a full partnership or... I'm always interested to see how museums communicate with the communities that they want to serve. Is it a partnership, is it a dialogue, or is it a a lecture?
2: No, in many ways, for us, we have—I mean—we have various committees that inform the work of the museum at, at different levels. You know, they're they're constantly infusing the way we work. So, uh, you know, for example, we have a youth photography program. There's a committee of photographers and representatives from the community who help shape the curriculum. I mean, so many of these things uh, impact various ways in which we operate. So we try to involve community and and advisory ad hoc committees um, on multiple levels, and then we have a national advisory board from around the country. So we're constantly trying to listen and respond to the needs of the community. So it's not so much like a a singular listening session or one or two to develop a space. It's more about how do we keep channels of communication going with the community at all times. And sometimes we're better at that and sometimes we struggle. That's very hard work. Um, But it's it's, it's constantly trying to be in tune and responsive to those needs as we operate 365 per year.
1: Thank you for, for clarifying that model. I, th- I think you're right. Uh, but most importantly, you're right about that it's hard work. Uh, and that it's ongoing work. Uh, you just don't wake up one morning and say, "Hey, let's let's uh, if, uh, work with the community on a on a certain issue." That it's that is something that is echoed by uh, many of the guests on this show who are speaking about successes in working with the community, is that it, they just didn't wake up one morning and say, let's do it, that it has been ongoing since the inception of the museum, and clearly you are, are following uh, that, that uh, important model as well. Uh, we're going to go take our second break, and when we come back, uh, more... Uh, about the Arab American National Museum and uh, a conversation with Devin Ackman. I always want to take this opportunity to uh, tell listeners that I enjoy so much uh, your comments, uh, your thoughts about particular shows, about uh, I'm very excited when you share with me ideas or guests or topics that you want to discuss. If I don't get back to you right away, I apologize. I do try to get back with everyone within uh, a week's time. And uh, thank you so much because so many of the programs that you hear are based on your recommendations. So continue to communicate with me at carol.bossert at verizon.net or on Twitter at MuseWrite. So we will be back in a moment. Uh, Thank you for listening, but stay tuned. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life.
3: Carol Bossert established CB Services LLC because she believes in the societal value of museums, Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content, and at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations, no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com, reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn, or call her directly at
0: 240-432-7712. You're tuned in to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is
1: Carol Bossert. And as you know, I've been speaking today with Devin Ackman, uh, from the Arab American National Museum in Dearborn, Michigan. Uh, and, Devin, one thing that you said in the last segment that I just, uh, I, I understand, but I just want to follow up on because I think uh, you, uh, you said it purposefully, and I think it's uh, very important. You said that uh, your museum is an ethno-specific museum, but not ethnocentric. Do you just, would you like to elaborate on that a little bit?
2: Well, certainly, we're a museum. That's that's you know our our mission is ultimately about you know the Arab American experience and, and, and placing that in context with the with the American experience. So we're about Arab Americans, but. So much of our portfolio, uh, particularly through programming, is is really about something bigger than just the Arab American experience. It's about building community through the arts. So, you know, if if we want people to understand who we are, we also need to understand um, other people as well. You know, we're looking at kind of this this larger story of what it means to be an American. So that's really kind of our, our, our approach to a lot of this work. Um, for example, we put on the largest free world music festival every summer in, in Detroit. It's called the Concert of Colors, and it's hosted at the Detroit Symphony Orchestra, the Detroit Institute of Arts, the Charles Wright Museum of African American History. And the whole notion is how can we leverage, again, um, music? You know, music, something that really is, is, is universally uh, a mode of expression of cultures um, and and bring people together through this celebration. So, of course, there's an Arab-American component, uh, there's an Arab world component, but it's really something more global at looking at the role of culture and how we can convene people through culture to build community. And and that's a central aspect of our work. Um, So that happens through our interpretive approach and our exhibits. Um, you know, how can this speak to people who are not Arab, uh, to the actual programming and how you participate in that?
1: Thank you. And that, that leads me to my, my next question, as I've, I've said before uh, on the show, and, and even at the beginning of the show, that words matter. Uh, and I over the... The years in uh, bringing on on guests, and and obviously we've I've talked to museum directors from all sorts of different kinds of museums, and and these. Ex- Uh, museums that are focused on a particular subject matter I always find very interesting Uh, I know uh, in the 90s there was a lot of discussion in museological circles about uh, sort of the the balkanization of of culture Uh, and so I was wondering how how do you define yourselves? I mean what words do you use? Uh, Specialty, alternative history culture what what niches do you put yourselves in or do you just say nope we're special
2: you know that that's a really interesting question and I think one that's not asked that often of us Um, and it's curious because in a lot of ways you have to check that box right when you're when you're filling out sometimes grant applications or other things of that nature and and I don't really think of us, sometimes I see ethnic museums, sometimes I see others, sometimes I see specialty. I mean, if I had a box to check, it would be community-based, because to me, that really represents our approach more than anything, and that's what we've really been uh, trying to refine and and, and deepen, uh, is is how we approach our work. It's more about the approach to the work, and, and how we are about putting people first, and and how we construct our programming and exhibits that, that really stand above all that for me. So I know it's kind of a generic term, but community-based museum uh, is how I would probably most aptly describe what we are and who we are and how that encompasses our philosophy.
1: I, you know, thank you. That's a great answer, uh, and particularly uh, uh, going back to the statement that you made at the very uh, beginning of the show that you are really, uh, as a leader, uh, navigating and asking the questions of what it means to be a 21st century museum, which is you know sort of the buzzword of the of the well, the new century I guess, but but museums really are at a at a crossroads where we're really thinking carefully about who we are and who we serve. And the twentieth century museum pretty much defined itself by the types of collections they held or the kinds of audience they served Uh, the idea of a community based museum might have even been considered uh, you know secondary Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. you know a a place that didn't have uh, collections or or, and perhaps couldn't even become accredited because they weren't open uh, enough days But, but here you really are embracing that as saying we're defined by how we work not what we what we collect and I think that that's that's something that I, I we should probably talk a little bit more about as a museum community
2: you know I, I think we're kind of heading in that direction right now I see this happening more and more from the big institutions on uh, down you know how do we how do we you know relevancy in a lot of ways we're competing for attention and and so there, there's we're kind of f- being forced to go that route um, because it has to be of greater value now, you know, and so there's kind of the the push of going that way, but also the magic that comes through working in that way. I mean, anytime you work in collaboration with a community, while it's very difficult to work, the outcomes are so powerful, and the ability to sustain those relationships and grow collectively and 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 be responsive to that is is, is really. It's rooting the museum in civic life in a different way, and I think that's a pretty powerful um, thing for a museum to do.
1: I agree with you completely, and you know one of the things that we struggle with here in Washington. Uh, you know, many of my my clients who are you know, nationally based uh, organizations struggle with being both a national a national entity uh, and serving a national community, as well as as being that community based. Uh, uh, rooted in, in the uh, immediate community and sort of that local audience, uh, do you even perceive that as a as a dichotomy?
2: Yeah, sure, certainly. I mean, we have we have spirited debates within our, within our staff all the time about you know are we doing too much nationally? Are we doing enough locally? Um, And uh, you know, I don't, I don't know that there's a right formula, Um, especially you know, for an institution like ours. We 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 have so much happening abroad, and then so much happening domestically that's impacting our community. Um, So we're constantly, you know, we're constantly trying to figure out what our cadence is. You know, we've been doing a lot nationally over the last year or two. Given, I mean, we've really elevated it over the last year or two, just kind of given the discourse in our nation right now. and, and uh, unfortunately, you know that that has meant you know surrendering some of our our programming on a local level. Um, but we're constantly, you know, we're, we're 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 doing our best to balance that tension, and that's probably one of the biggest biggest struggles we face right now: is how do you balance um, the relevancy locally while trying to meet a national demand? Uh,
1: th- Thank you. Uh, yeah, I do. I do think that it, it's a struggle, and you you've alluded to it. Not that we want to become, you know, a political program here, but uh, you know, there's no secret that there has been uh, you know, some. There's a shift going on in our country, and there have been some some significant uh, issues of uh, of. Of violence and anger against new immigrants, uh, against uh, people of Arab descent, are you? Um, you know, how how are how, is, how are you dealing with the strain, both personally, uh, your staff, and uh, helping your community through this period?
2: Well, largely we're trying to, again, just involve them in the process of telling stories and being part of a dialogue. More than anything, we think dialogues are essential. Um, you know, we're part of the, the immigration sites of conscience network, for example, and, and that's very much rooted in dialogue. So, you know, one of the things, for example, there's there been a lot of heated discussion about refugees. And, again, you know, as an institution, we're not necessarily going to take a blatant stance one way or the other. Um, we'd rather be the platform for discussion. But for us, it's really important that maybe some of these refugees are involved in the discussion. Um, so we try to give voice to them, and we did that through an exhibition, largely telling the story of a lot of refugees through objects and imagery, like, why did you come, and what what did you bring uh, through that process? And that, that begins this process of humanizing. So, you know, it gives an opportunity. One of the things I fear is that, you know, sometimes we have dialogues about people, but we don't involve them in the process. And that's a way, as a museum, we could be a platform. We're not necessarily saying... Uh, either way, refugees bad, refugees good. We're just saying let's allow the refugees a voice in this discussion, and you know and that begins the process of, of of kind of empowering them to tell their story. So that's largely our way of getting involved with this, um, because it is very very challenging times right now. I mean, we can't we can't kid ourselves. It's a very um, you know there's a lot of volatility in the political environment in our nation right now. And again, we're not a political institution. We're a museum
1: and as you, you were as you said before as you were talking about the annex that the one rule is that it's a safe place to talk and I, I do think that uh, that in such a volatile period of history that we find ourselves in, that that is a role that museums can take and many uh, many are in, in their community. Uh, but it takes a great deal of courage. I'm sure you have some interesting discussions at your board level.
2: It takes courage, and we just constantly are trying to get better. And, you know, one of the main initiatives for me is to further empower our staff to feel comfortable in those situations because, you know, we can't get ourselves. Things arise in these discussions occasionally, and you have to be equipped. Um To facilitate that in a proper way. We want to be a safe space. We're not necessarily a neutral space. I mean, it's not the kind of space where one can come in and spit out hate speech. You know, that's not what we are. Um, But we are a place for dialogue, and we want people to feel comfortable in having dialogue, dialogue that might not always be, you know, everybody having the same viewpoint. You know, one of the things we need is to have more dialogue. Um, But more than anything, we need physical spaces where people can convene. And I'm a huge lover of technology, <laughs> um, but so much of this happens in the digital realm, um, and I think, again, that's why it's so important to have physical spaces where people can get together and connect and have discussion.
1: I I agree with you. I think that that is uh, perhaps 20 years from now when they're writing, writing the history of this period of time, it may be that... Uh, what we are experiencing is simply that that tension between being human beings who are used to developing our culture and our understanding face to face and we're isolated behind screens just too many too many times so i think that it's fabulous that you are uh, are providing uh, overtly providing that that opportunity for your community
2: so- Actually, to, to the point you asked earlier, I think it might even be more of a challenge, less about national versus local. In some ways, it's about digital versus physical right now, too. That's a whole other kind of tension. Yeah,
1: that's a, that is a that is a very interesting point. Um I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I'm just curious, uh, what, what were the thoughts moving through your head, uh, you know, a couple of months ago when the uh, African American Hist- uh, Museum of History and Culture opened on the mall? I mean, certainly you're a Smithsonian uh, uh, affiliate, but uh, did that, did you, what were your thoughts?
2: Well, I'm first of all just you know, ecstatic that this institution has finally come to fruition. I know it's been a long, long uh, work in progress, and uh, Dr. Bunch has done an amazing job at the helm. Had the opportunity twice now to visit it, and it's a remarkable institution. Uh, I think that it's it's much needed to have. Um, so I have a lot of joy and a lot of excitement and a lot of uh, optimism for its future. Um, on the other hand, uh, you know we had the what is now the second largest, previously the largest uh, African. American Museum here in Detroit, and um, they do absolutely fantastic work, and I think they're doing a really great job of also kind of positioning their, their institution in light of this new national institution, so um, I, I'm very optimistic about their role, um, and uh, I think it's a really great institution. I'm excited for them. Great. Uh,
1: Thank you. Thank you for those words. And thank you for being on the show today. I've I've learned so much. And uh, and, and just uh, the story of your institution fills me with just a lot of hope for our total future. So thank you so very much for the work you do and for uh, sharing it with me today.
2: Well, thanks for having me and uh, providing me an opportunity to share our story. Thanks so much.
1: And we will be back next week with another edition of Museum Life. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Until next week, this is Carol Bossert for Museum Life.
0: Thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life. Please join your host, Carol Bossert, again next Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What museum issue is on your mind? Tell Carol at carol.bossert at verizon.net.